Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. Tonight, uh, we have a very special guest, um, Gary Kaw, who I met uh, recently. He is uh, an expert, a, f- a former Europe and Mideast trade specialist. Uh, he worked for the Indiana okay. government. And in that position, he worked very closely uh, with uh, different embassies. He wrote two best-selling books and is very, very familiar with the one world government. He's been writing and talking about what's happening uh, today for years. Uh, When I first spoke to uh, Gary, he has a wealth of knowledge and was able to connect the dots of everything that's been transpiring and to really um, identify the news or the truth behind the news. Gary also was introduced to me by a, by a dear mutual friend of ours, who um, Gary is part of Ebenezer Operation Exodus and Aliyah Ministry for many years. He's on the U.S. board since 2013, international board uh, since 2016. Gary, it's an honor to have you on the World Prayer Network. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Maria. It's a real uh, privilege to be with all of you this evening. And I know the time is going to go very quickly. Um, This is a big challenge for me. Um, I've been praying about how to share and and really I feel led to kind of share the bird's eye view on um, the background of um, some of the things that are happening today to help us understand that better because the path that the Lord has taken me on. Um, So I guess I'll begin by sharing a little bit about my family background uh, because people wonder how in the world that I get started studying and writing on the New World Order. Um, Well, my father uh, grew up in Croatia. Uh, At the age of 12, he fled with his family from the communists who were closing in. They only had about a day's notice, just enough time to pack a bag, throw a few pots and pans onto the back of a wagon. They formed a wagon train and they ran for their lives. Um, About a year later, when he was 13 years old, Uh, They had found some refuge in the mountains of Austria. They thought they were going to be safe there, but he was sent to a boarding school. And after a month or so there, he thought, wow, we're not learning a lot of math or anything else, but we're doing a lot of marching. And he came to discover uh, that they were being prepared, these boys, roughly ages 13 to 16, to be put on the Eastern Front as cannon fodder for Hitler. And so dad decided I didn't come this far to now be put on the Eastern Front for Hitler. So that night, uh, he and a friend jumped out of a two-story window and ran for their lives. And uh, so I'm, I'm here today largely as a result of, of God's protection uh, of my father and uh, his um, uh, discernment at a very young age. He, he knew when to run and, and when not to run and when to stand firm. Um, after the war, he met my mother. Uh, who grew up in southern Germany. Her father, my grandfather, was very outspoken against Hitler to the point where on one occasion, the secret police came looking for him in their small village of 300 people. Fortunately, the mayor uh, was a friend of the family. They went to the mayor's office to look for my grandpa, uh, but the mayor uh, sent them on a wild goose chase to the neighboring town and then hunted down my grandpa and said, you've got to get out of here, they're looking for you. So he had to live in a a nearby forest uh, for a period of time just to uh, escape them. 
so on both sides, my mom's side and my dad's side, uh, they were people that experienced World War II, had a lot of close calls. Uh, after getting married, they came to the U.S. I was born in Ohio. I grew up hearing about what they uh, went through, especially at family gatherings with, with cousins and so forth. And so I became interested in international affairs and international matters at, at a pretty young age. Uh, I became a believer in, in Jesus Christ, accepted him as my savior during the summer after fifth grade. And in sixth grade, I remember having a history lesson and we studied World War II. And between what I had learned from my parents and what I learned there uh, in my classroom in Kettering, Ohio, um, I remember just feeling such a, a strong sense from the Lord. Uh, I, I prayed silently in my classroom, and I promised to the Lord that if anything were to ever happen in this country, like what happened in Europe during World War II, that I would take a stand for him no matter the cost. Now, of course, as a kid, you, you don't think the Lord is ever going to take you up on something like that, um, but it turns out he did. Uh, fast forward over many years. So now um, I had the great fortune of uh, uh, landing uh, just an incredible job at a very young age, working for the government of the state of Indiana. I became, as Mario mentioned, uh, the Europe and Middle East trade specialist. And my job entailed doing whatever possible, working with Indiana companies to increase their exports to overseas in order to create more jobs back here on the home front. So it's very much an economics uh, job, international economics. And so it wasn't long before I was traveling all around the world, uh, of course, Europe and the Middle East a lot, but also eventually to, to parts of the Far East, uh, promoting our our products, especially in the medical industry and also in the energy field with Indiana coal. coal. And um, my meetings overseas were organized through our embassies. So I was on the payroll of our state government, but whenever I traveled overseas, the arrangements were made uh, through our state department at the embassies. And so I, I worked closely with a lot of those people usually spent anywhere from two to four days at a time with them in, in the cities we were in. And so we would have lunch and dinner together. Sometimes they would even invite me into their homes. And in situations like that, it's natural that you talk about international economic developments because that's what we did. And then from there, it's just one step further to talk about international political developments. And sometimes we would get into religious matters as well. And what I learned fairly quickly on uh, over the first year or two was that there were many people in our State Department at the embassies that were globalists. They held the United Nations in very high regard. Uh, they were not opposed to a strengthening form of, of world government down the road. Um, one thing that many of them had in common was that they were not very fond of Bible-believing Christians or conservative Jews, which coming from my background, uh, that threw up a, a big flag. Also, they uh, generally did not have anything kind to say about Israel. Now, having said that, I did meet some Christians as well uh, who worked at the embassies. So I don't want to make it sound like everybody that worked there was a part of this globalist agenda. But I would say the globalists did have the upper hand. And this was back in the 1980s. 
so this this agenda, this globalist agenda, has been underway for for quite a while. Uh, during that time, I got really good at at playing really dumb. <laughs> I, I discovered that by asking questions and just letting people talk, it's amazing what they will tell you if they don't realize in advance where you're coming from. And so I asked a lot of questions, expressed a lot of interest in, in um, international uh, political matters and that type of thing. And, and I was amazed at what people were willing to share. Um, long story short, over the next few years, uh, as I began to research the globalist movement and connect some of the dots, I reached a point where I believe the Lord was wanting me to take some kind of a stand. I remembered back to the commitment I made as a, as a young boy, and I began praying. Uh, you know, I, I thought, what do you, where do you even start with something like, like this, uh, warning people? You know, do you stand on a street corner and start warning people about the New World Order? Of course, they, they think you're crazy. And um, just a couple of weeks after I began praying, a friend of mine, uh, who was the right-hand assistant to our Indiana Secretary of State at the time, uh, who was a believer, uh, asked me to come and share at a Bible study group that met in the Secretary of State's office. And so it was my pleasure to do that. Uh, I shared some of the evidence I had, some of the concerns I had about the, the hidden trends toward globalization and what that might mean for Christians and conservative Jews down the road. And uh, there was a lot of interest and some Christian state legislators and other uh, political leaders from the state of Indiana were present that day. Uh, they then subsequently invited me to share at some of their Bible study groups and at some of their churches. And this whole thing just began to unfold without me really having to push down any doors. And that continued for about 10 months or so. And then one day, I was called into the office of one of the deputy uh, commerce uh, directors in Indiana, and he asked me to have a seat. And he said, Gary, is it true that you've been speaking out against world government? And I said, yes, I have on my own free time. And he said, um, don't you think that this trend toward world government isn't just a natural evolution of the progress of mankind? And I said, well, no. And I began to explain why not. I said there was deliberate planning going on. Uh, some of this was very um, blatant. Um, and I had concerns that uh, much of this was an anti-Christian agenda. Um, the Lord really gave me the words to speak. And, and um, it wasn't anything highfalutin. I just uh, shared with him some of the things that I had learned. And he, he actually listened for quite a while, maybe 20 minutes or more. And then uh, he abruptly cut me off. And he said, as long as you work for this administration, you will not talk about any of these things to any groups, regardless of their size, whether they are Christian or non-Christian. Is that understood? And before I could even think of a response, he said, You've been a tremendous asset to our administration, and we do not want to lose you, but the choice is yours. And that's how the meeting ended. And so suddenly my job was on the line now, caught me completely off guard, especially since during the previous one and a half years or so, I had received special awards and honors from the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the secretary of state of Indiana for my outstanding service to the state of Indiana. So I really, I didn't see this coming. Um, went back to my office and, and just began to pray. And um, 
I decided to go ahead and take one more trip overseas because I had already committed to it. I had been invited by our sec Secretary of State uh, to uh, take a, a people to people uh, uh, tour with him to Finland, Russia, and China. And so I decided I'm gonna go ahead and take that trip and use that as an opportunity to pray because I didn't wanna do anything rash and just seek the Lord as to what he would want me to do, how he would want me to respond to what, what had just happened. And uh, everything that happened in Russia, that would be an hour long story by itself. I, I ended up meeting with a, uh, a Jewish refusenik there. We were able to make a cassette tape, bring it back, give it to Senator Richard Luger. And just all kinds of things came out of that trip. But I don't have time to go into all that uh, this evening. I just uh, will, will share with you that on the way back, I was sitting in the airport in San Francisco and it's as if the Lord just dropped the words into my mind that I should write in a letter of, of resignation. And so I just began to write and I submitted that letter when I got back to Indiana. And I just believe that, you know, if I'm not willing to take a stand with what I had learned and discovered uh, working for the government, then how could I ever expect other people to take a stand as well? So I really felt convicted and, and believed that God wanted me to, to do this. And uh, so I gave them three weeks notice, and then I left my job to begin uh, research and writing on my book, which eventually uh, came out six years later, En Route to Global Occupation. I thought I could get it done in two years, but it took six because of the spiritual warfare we encountered from that time on. Uh, just as one example, my wife, Audrey, was in three car accidents during one eight-month period, one of them totaling our car. And so uh, it seemed as if I was just dealing with insurance companies and body shops and things like that. And it was just ongoing. Uh, but with God's help, we persevered and finally got the job done. But anyway, I want to backtrack a little bit be because before I left my job with uh, the state of Indiana, I had been recruited by the, the feds to become part of an organization that was operating within the emergency management network. Uh, today, it's under the Department of Homeland Security, but this was before uh, Homeland Security was formed. And so I joined this organization, believing it to be something good and a, a way I could serve my country. I was in it for seven years. The last three years, I had secret clearance. During that time, uh, I attended uh, a couple of meetings actually in Washington, D.C. One of them was just a, a couple of miles from the Capitol building. And um, at this particular meeting, we were uh, briefed by globalists. Uh, one was from the Rockefeller Foundation. The other was from the Council on Foreign Relations. And they were quite open and, and blatant about, uh, uh, I would call it an, an, an agenda, a, a drift toward uh, globalism and globalization. And I, I remember thinking to myself, what does any of this have to do with emergency management? You know, if there's a crisis in our country and we're called in to serve, but we're being briefed by globalists who are very loyal to the United Nations. And in fact, I remember a, a friend I had made, we identified each other as Christians, really the only other Christian I met the whole time I was in that organization. Um, and he leaned over to me during that meeting and he said, is it just me or does it seem to you like they're trying to rebuild the Tower of Babel? And I thought, thank God somebody else sees through what's going on here. Then they put us on a bus and bust us over to the Naval Yard uh, for a luncheon. 
They said there was going to be a very prominent um, speaker from Washington, D.C., and this was really hyped up. And so when it came time uh, for this individual to speak, um, they introduced him. It seemed like it took forever. Uh, they listed all the awards that he had won from received from the United Nations and uh, all kinds of, again, globalist types of, of uh, awards. And uh, his claim to fame, that, uh, however, and they ended the introduction with this, was that he had served as a key advisor to every administration, be they Democrat or Republican, since FDR. This guy was probably well up in his 70s, and he had been on the scene in Washington for decades, more or less a permanent fixture. I had never heard of him before, but his name was Leo Chern, C-H-E-R-N, and there might have been an E at the end of his name, I can't remember. And uh, he went on to speak for quite some time, made some really shocking statements. One of them that I will never forget was he said that in order for the U.S. to be successful and to lead in the coming uh, new world order, um, we would have to move away from our Judeo-Christian background and ethic and embrace the religious philosophies of the East. He actually said that. Uh, made a very strong religious statement. And um, I wondered how, you know, people would react. I kind of looked around the room and, and uh, nobody seemed to have a problem with what he said. And I thought, you know, he must feel comfortable enough uh, in saying something like that, believing that everyone in the room would have been coming from the same uh, uh, angle, you know, the, the same worldview as him on that. Uh, when he was done speaking, he got a standing ovation from the two to 300 people who were there. Uh, the people who were there represented a number of people from our military, numerous people from executive office of the president departments like Department of Energy, Transportation, Commerce, um, uh, State Defense, that type of thing. And um, I was put on the spot at that point. I didn't wanna stick out like a sore thumb. I really felt that God had put me in this organization to, to see some of these things. So I stood up, but I couldn't bring myself to clap because I felt that if, if I would, I'd be betraying uh, God as well as, as my country. And um, after, I remember standing there looking around the room with everybody applauding. Uh, I thought, we're in deep trouble. I mean, these are the people who would be in charge if there was a national emergency, if martial law uh, would be declared. The organization that I was in uh, I would have been one of about 2,000 people in it who'd be called in and we'd be uh, given uh, specific uh, instructions. And so uh, that was one round of experiences I had that I wanted to share with you this evening. The other one was really more blatant. Um, I was invited to join an organization called the World Constitution and Parliament Association, uh, the WCPA. Uh, this organization I soon discovered was to, their goal was to present themselves as a grassroots bottom-up movement, promoting globalization, uh, almost a we the people kind of globalist movement. Uh, so you had an effort from within our government working from the top down, and then there were these so-called grassroots organizations networking together, working from the bottom up. And this particular group, had already drafted a prototype world constitution that they were still tweaking at the time. They had held a few uh, practice 
sessions of what they were calling the pro a provisional world parliament meeting. Um, I wanted to find out more about the people involved in the organization. I, so I did some digging and uh, the former president of the World Council of Churches, Cynthia Waddell was one of the members. Uh, the president of the World Muslim Congress um, uh, was also a, a member. He was a vice president of, of the organization, Dr. Enamula Khan from Pakistan. A former U.S. Attorney General was a vice president of this organization as well. And numerous ambassadors, uh, foreign ministers, uh, some very prominent folks, mayors of, of large cities from the United States, they covered all the religions. There were Buddhists, Hindus, uh, people professing to be Christians, uh, a, a few Jews, um, and so this was kind of an interfaith type of uh, uh, approach. And one of my first goals was to try to understand who was in charge of this and who was really the drive, you know, the driving force behind this this organization that was pushing for eventual, uh, eventually a form of world government. And um, there were three people uh, who were very powerful and instrumental in that organization. Uh, two of them, actually all three of them, also happened to be members of an organization called World Union. I'd never heard of that organization before. I, I traced it to India and World Union was sister organizations with another organization called World Goodwill, which I did I know about, I had heard of it before, is a very occultic um, group headquartered in New York City and in London. And that organization was founded by Alice Bailey, who many people today would view her as, as kind of the originator of, of the New Age movement. Um, she uh, also headed up an organization known as Lucis Trust that was originally founded in 1921 or 22 as Lucifer Publishing Company, if you can believe that. Um, and just to prove that I'm not joking about this, um, in my second book, The, the New World Religion, on page uh, 31, I reproduced a title page uh, front where it said Lucifer Publishing Company, uh, publishing one of her first writings. And then two years later, uh, the name was changed to Lucis Trust. I later found out that that organization had a very significant influence on the Council on Foreign Relations and, and uh, other uh, globalist organizations. Um, Alice Bailey and her husband uh, both were uh, heavily involved in, in the secret societies, other secret societies. Uh, both of them were involved heavily in, in, in Freemasonry, and I don't have a lot of time to go into, into that um, this evening. Also the Theosophical Society. And so if you've ever studied the New Age movement, this takes you kind of to the roots of, of today's New Age movement. Alice Bailey was one of the originators who laid a lot of the groundwork through her writings um, and, and so anyway, so this organization, the World Constitutional Parliament Association, was just a couple of steps removed from organizations founded by Alice Bailey. Uh, and of course, World Goodwill, she was heavily involved in, in that organization out of, out of New York. So there was a, a very strong religious, spiritual component uh, to it. And um, 
I also I came across uh, uh, the word the the name Lucifer on other occasions as well, and some of these people were actually heavily involved in the occult. There's a very strong religious component to all of this, and their goal was. Uh, in their own way to try to help unite the world's religions in, in a clever way to prepare them and condition them to merge into a coming world government system. Now, remember, this was back in the 1980s, and this was already taking place at that time. Their goal was to begin to go public around the year 2000 and then uh, to keep pushing forward from that, uh, that point. So I wish I had time to go into more detail. I, I, I don't, but uh, that organization uh, really helped me put a lot of pieces together as I was working on my book. And in fact, I reproduced quite a few of their uh, documents and, and, and part B of, of my book and Roots of Global Occupation, uh, if you're interested in, in uh, getting that. So to try to pull this all together, um, there were leaders from over 200 different organizations who belonged to the World Constitution and Parliament Association, including top leaders from Greenpeace, uh, the World Council of Churches, uh, some of the Islamic organizations, Hindu organizations. They had all the bases covered as far as the world's uh, religions are, are concerned. And uh, the only question was, you know, how, how is this going to be introduced and rolled out eventually? And, um, uh, there was a lot of talk about crises and, and crisis management. And I came to conclude that at some point in the future when the world was in a major crisis, uh, the globalists who were behind this effort were going to try to spring their agenda upon the people of the world, probably in the name of world peace, saying that in order to restore world peace, we have to have a form of global government, an interfaith type of global government uh, system. And um, uh, as I was studying this and, and, and some of the people involved in the organization, um, you know, I, I, I really did a lot of study of history to, to try to understand where this came from, where it was going. And um, you look at World War I, it led to the forming of the League of Nations afterwards, kind of the first public step toward world government. Then there was World War II. What happened after World War II? The United Nations was established, a much bigger step in the direction of world government. So if there's a third global war, then it would make sense uh, that a more powerful uh, global system of government would emerge from that. And that is, in fact, the goal of these people. Um, they want to use crisis management, you know, different crises occurring in the world, uh, to ultimately take us into a global system of government that would be proposed as the solution to all of our problems. And in fact, um, the World Constitutional Parliament Association put out a list of 49 reasons why we need world government. And something like 13 to 15 of them had to do with the environment, by the way. Um, others had to do with bringing about permanent lasting world peace in response to a, a global conflict um, and uh, other reasons um, had to do with uh, the coming economic crash, that they would introduce a new global economic system uh, into the mix. So basically every problem in the world, world government would present itself as a type of solution to it. That's where all of this is, is going. And I wish I had more time to go into all of the details. There's, there's a lot more, but... Um, 
I may come back to it if I have time, but uh, uh, when, when I was talking to Mario uh, the other day, uh, Mario, you, you had mentioned uh, that it would be helpful to, to kind of lay out some um, thoughts regarding how this uh, could come about uh, and, and kind of um, a progression of events. Um, and, and so I just wanted to touch on that a little bit. Um, the current war taking place over in Ukraine, uh, what if that continues to escalate, which it appears now that it will? Uh, it doesn't look uh, as if Putin is going to back down. And what if this continues? And so NATO partners are ultimately drawn in, including the U.S., and it leads to a major uh, global conflict. Um, as a result, some oil countries stop using the petrodollar somewhere along the way, uh, choosing instead to use a new oil currency, possibly uh, driven by China. Uh, this is actually being discussed even now. So as a result, the US dollar loses much of its value almost overnight, uh, possibly dropping by uh, uh, maybe a third of its value or so, leading to hyperinflation in the US. Um, also, food shortages begin to occur uh, because of the war. Uh, in Ukraine and the collapse of, of the dollar, uh, which also causes food as well as energy prices to soar further. Uh, as a result of that, civil unrest occurs in the United States and becomes rampant to the point where lawlessness abounds. Um, as a result of that, possibly Texas and several other states uh, threaten to secede from the federal government due to the government's unwillingness to deal with the border crisis and other calamities overtaking our country. Uh, our foreign adversaries who've been waiting for the right moment to attack our nation, take advantage of the chaotic internal situation in the US when we are at our weakest moment and distracted by internal disarray. And at that time, uh, they launch a limited nuclear assault taking out several of our major cities. Uh, by the way, that scenario was discussed uh, when I was in uh, one of the organizations that I belong to that I mentioned earlier. Uh, as a result, martial law is declared and regional form of government is implemented based on 10 regions, uh, which the organization that I was in that I uh, alluded to was set up in that way. It was based upon uh, 10 regions around the United States. Then the question is who would be in charge at, at that point? Uh, of course, there were a lot of globalists in that organization, so I believe globalists would ultimately be in charge in that type of a, a scenario. And, um, and at that point, the result is a, a new, more powerful global government system is introduced and forced upon us. So I want to say up front, um, I'm not saying that this is exactly how the, the scenario could unfold, uh, but I believe this is a possibility. Um, I, I do not want to be guilty of making uh, predictions and say this is how it's going to happen, but I just wanted to present a realistic scenario of how all of this could unfold because a lot of the pieces are in place. And um, uh, we see what's taking uh, place in the world right now with uh, the, the conflict over in Ukraine. And um, it seems like a number of world leaders are, are ready to jump in 
And if they do, um, I, I believe it could uh, present a World War III type of scenario. And the solution to that um, almost for certain would be a type of world government system. Uh, world War I, again, resulted in the League of Nations, World War II and the United Nations, World War III in a full-blown system of, of global government. And I can tell you this, it would be strongly anti-Christian, no matter what it looks like on the surface, and also anti-Semitic, because these people do not favor uh, Christians uh, or Jews, especially Old Testament Jews. And, and so, you know, if you, if you have read the Bible and studied Bible prophecy, these people are basically telegraphing to us that they're going to put in motion the very things that the Bible prophesied would take place in the last days. For me, it was just a matter of putting two and two together by being in these organizations and, and seeing uh, where they were wanting to go with all of this. Uh, Gary, look, let me uh, kind of break it down a little bit because we've had quite a few discussions. I've read some of your materials and listened to some of your briefings. COVID-19, they had, um, they got together before, a couple months before, and they had a, a war game of how this thing would, would unfold. They recently got together in Davos and two weeks ago, again, they got together in Dubai. And whatever they, they planned, most of which happened with, with the unleash of COVID-19. I remember when I spoke, to, when I first read your article, when we first met, you had mentioned that, that the, the COVID-19 fraud was gone. They need something new hence Ukraine, and that you actually wondered if the globalists or Biden literally baited Putin into this kind of action. Can you just discuss the transition from whatever was done by executive fiat, executive orders here, Canada, Australia, many other places to control population and where we're at now and how they view what's going on? Well, yeah, back in October, a couple of years ago, um, there was a, a very important meeting of, of globalists. Um, they discussed a scenario that ended up being very similar to the scenario that began playing out just a couple of months later. Um, and um, the, the ultimate goal of this is to move us in the direction of globalization and to rein in uh, and tighten the screws on the people of the world by uh, giving more and more power and authority to various uh, global uh, governance bodies, such as, as the United Nations. Uh, the World Economic Forum factors in very heavily uh, to this. Many of the people that have been pushing this agenda uh, belong to the World Economic Forum. And um, so, you know, so much happened so quickly a couple of years ago when this whole COVID thing uh, rolled out. And I believe the globalists took it as far as they could. And then people began to push back and, and catch on to it. And, uh, and then they needed an, uh, another crisis because these people are crisis managers is how they operate. They further their agenda uh, through international crises. And so uh, you had the whole thing in Ukraine uh, begin to um, unravel. And let me go back just a little bit back in, in, uh, 2014, there was um, 
a major move made in Ukraine to topple that government. You'll probably remember that it happened during the Olympics. And so while Putin was uh, wanting to have his moment of, of glory in the Olympics, you know, they put billions of dollars into the Sochi Olympics. And while this is going on, suddenly there's this coup in Ukraine uh, overthrowing the pro-Russia prime minister at that time. And uh, that was strongly influenced, that coup, and that's putting it mildly, by US and, and British intelligence. And I believe the purpose of that was to get Putin angry enough and insulted enough that he would begin to make a move. And of course, it wasn't uh, much after that time uh, that Putin did uh, begin to make a move on Ukraine. And, um, and then before long, they began to tighten the screws. And I think they were waiting, uh, waiting for the right moment uh, to go to war with Ukraine. And when Biden came in, uh, he's a weak leader. Uh, and I believe Putin smelled an opportunity. And now we, we see what's going on uh, over there. So I believe what was done way back in, in, in 2014 uh, during the Olympics uh, was an effort to eventually draw Putin into a, a war in Ukraine. And through that, uh, to possibly bring about a much broader conflict that will draw in much of the rest of the, uh, of the world. I personally believe that the powers that be, they wanna bring about a type of World War III now. And if you think about it, World War I led to the forming of the League of Nations, World War II led to the forming of the UN. Uh, would a third global conflict put the globalists over the top? Uh, where they would actually be able to introduce a form of uh, a more powerful world government on the heels of this. So that's kind of where I believe all of this is, is, is headed. Um, but you, you're right, Mario, in uh, October, a couple of years ago, when they had those meetings, you know, within two months, the COVID crisis broke out and um, it, it all unfolded uh, quite rapidly and not with uh, good results for all of us. Um, in, in the most recent meeting of the uh, World Economic Forum, I forgot what they called it, they, they literally had one session on, are we ready for the new world order? Right now, they're very blatant, very public. What does that mean, number one? And number two, what can we expect between now and November? What do you think their short-term plans would be for America? I believe uh, the globalists, uh, the blatant globalists have put out their feelers. They wanna see how people are going to react. Uh, they wanna monitor uh, the degree of pushback that they're going to experience. Um, in their minds, the United States and Israel are the two biggest roadblocks to uh, their global agenda, which is interesting. And um, so any, any people in positions of power in those two countries, they wanna do what they can uh, to lessen their authority so that they experience less pushback politically uh, in the pro uh, process of trying to bring about uh, their agenda. Um, so you have certain states here in the U.S. that are not ready for global government. You know, they would get dragged into all of this kicking and, and screaming. Uh, states like uh, Texas, uh, South Dakota, uh, a number of other states, uh, Indiana here in the Midwest, we have a very strong Indiana General Assembly that is strongly opposed to global government. They've let that be made known. And, and so it'll be interesting to see in the years ahead how all of this is, is rolled out. 
And I think they're taking notes right now to see who is with them and who is uh, not with them, and which is very smart and shrewd on, on, you know, from their standpoint. Uh, but they realize they're going to have to deal with the United States and with Israel uh, somehow. Uh, you know, the people of Israel, uh, they've, they've gone to Israel from all around the world from very difficult circumstances. And so they want to keep their freedoms. But even in Israel, there's been a stronger and stronger socialist push where now it's, it's, it's not a given uh, that the people who are going to be in control in Israel are all about freedom and protecting their national sovereignty. Uh, we can no longer totally rely on that. And the same situation exists here in the United States. I believe the current administration wouldn't uh, have any problem taking us into a form of, of global government. And that's why the push was so strong to get Biden in and, and to get Trump out. So there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than what people are generally uh, aware of. Uh, but our country is very divided, uh, as all of you certainly would know. The Northeast, the West Coast uh, is much more socialistic, much more in favor of a global form of government. Uh, they generally would not have a problem with it. But parts of the Midwest and South are very strongly opposed to it. And, and so there could be a lot of internal unrest resulting when the time comes when they actually try to uh, force this upon us. And in our country, uh, it could happen through uh, some type of um, uh, martial law situation that comes about as a result of um, hopefully this doesn't happen. I really hope it doesn't happen. But what if there was a limited nuclear attack on the United States where some of our coastal cities uh, were hit? Uh, one of the scenarios of one of the organizations I was involved in actually walked through that and, um, and, and then how all these emergency managers would be brought out onto the scene. And many of them just happen to be globalists, you know? And so if there was an emergency situation in this country, they could use that type of scenario to, to try to force us into a system of, of global government. But I don't believe it would be easy because uh, a number of the states uh, would not go along with it, at least not right now. Uh, Texas, South Dakota, Florida, uh, Indiana, a lot of states would really fight this. And, and so things would get dicey at that point. Um, but I think this is ultimately, this is kind of where things are, are, are heading. And my prayer is that the Lord would give us more time uh, to reach people for him. Um, but we do not control the timetable. Only the Lord ultimately knows when these things are going to unfold. But I'll tell you a quick uh, story. A gentleman got hold of me just a couple of weeks ago. This was recent. He heard me on a talk show I had done and, and tracked me down. And um, he had become heavily involved at a pretty high level in the One World Movement, uh, naively at first. And he began to realize what was going on and kind of played along with it for a while. And one of the gentlemen that he met with, who's pretty high up in this whole movement, um, he kind of baited him a little bit. He said, um, you know, with everything going on in the world, um, you know, how, how close are we to um, uh, global government and, and all of this uh, coming about? Um, could it be at this year? And the guy without skipping a beat, this globalist uh, said 2024, he said 2024. Uh, there are a lot of efforts going on behind the scenes right now that are a buildup to 2024 uh, when the globalists, at least as of right now, uh, would like to, in a more blatant way, 
uh, move in this direction. Uh, now, I'm not going to set that date and say this is when it's going to happen because there's the God factor. You know, the Lord can push all this back. Um, but it, it was helpful to me to know that they're working on that kind of a timetable. And I believe uh, the goal is to use the, the war in Ukraine and Russia. Uh, I think they would like to see that war expanded to draw in the rest of the world into a, a major international conflict. And uh, it wouldn't take much then to also crash the global economy. Uh, things are already headed in that direction uh, uh, right now. And so they, they, they need an economic collapse, uh, a collapse of the current political order, and, uh, and then to be able to introduce uh, the new global system as the solution uh, to all the problems of, of the world. And the environment factors into this heavily as well. Uh, that's part of this agenda, uh, to make things look as bad as they can be so that they can argue we need a world government to help solve the environmental crisis. So that's kind of where things are at right now. Uh, I hope that this timetable is inaccurate, that things do not unfold that quickly. But who's to say, when you look at how quickly our world has changed in just the last two years between COVID and now the war in Ukraine that could expand, um, uh, these people do have an agenda. And at the higher levels, it, it's, uh, I'll just come out and say it's, I mean, it's a satanic luciferic agenda. And um, uh, it flies in the face of everything uh, good that we as, as Christians uh, stand for. Uh, but it has been prophesied in scripture. Uh, so we all know eventually this will happen. It's just a matter of when will it happen. And I cannot give you that, that answer. I can only tell you uh, things are getting closer and closer. Thank you so much. Uh, I just want to say something. And then uh, Jim uh, has a few questions and uh, we'll pray. Um, uh, really, really appreciate your insight. Uh, you know, we want to continue to keep in touch with you. And we're praying that it's not yet time. And that's part of our goal here to just, uh, it really, to me, seems like it's premature. Satan is trying to accelerate what will ultimately happen. And uh, we're praying for that time of uh, grace period of the Lord to advance his kingdom as well. Amen. Back to you, Jim. Uh, we've all heard Gary say something twice. And that's a call to all the intercessors and all people on this call. He's alluded to twice to the possibility of an attack on American soil. And the second time he said it, East and West Coast cities. <clears throat> now, having said that, he's not making a prediction, but he is giving us some insight into a potential reality. That being the case, given the unsettlement of our world, given the reality of the Ukraine war and all the implications, I would contend we're already in World War III because it starts with cyber and, and, and economic warfare. I think we're already in it. When China's involved with Russia, accepting the whole, this is now World War III already, in my opinion. <clears throat> but Gary's comments should be very sobering to us that one of the tasks of tonight's praying and ongoing, everyone who listens to what he has just said, as we push this out, we need to pray proactively and aggressively right now that an attack not occur on American soil. He's giving us prayer fodder, and this is a, a healthy warning. So thank you, Gary, for that. So when we go into time of prayer, that no foreign or domestic forces make an attack upon 
uh, American soil. And we got to pray for the rest of the world, but he's eluded to our country twice. Uh, Gary, I want to go back. I'm going to take us all the way back to kindergarten or first grade. I'm a definitions guy. <clears throat> I'm assuming everybody, let's do a lightning round really fast here if I can. Definitions, globalism. Define globalism in one to two sentences if you can. Well, overall, a push toward ultimate world government, a global governance system. Uh, the United Nations empowered way beyond where it is right now into a system of global government. It is my sensing that the, these people have been able to make the word nationalism a naughty word, a very mm -hmm. negative term. Patriotism is now a bad thing uh, by these people. So say a word about, and, and I, I, I'm watching religious leaders fall and step behind it. Uh, those particularly that are never Trumpers, that can't stand Trump. Uh, that now they flag Christian nationalism. And they, 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 they've made those who are patriotic, this is very, very bad. They've almost turned it into sort of sounding like Nazis or something because they had or similar phrases in there. So say a word about the right role of patriotism as a follower of Jesus Christ. Is there a right role of nationalism? Is nationalism the counter to globalism? Or, or we do, have to, do we have to new, use another term? And even, even uh, Trump saying America first. Uh, the critics of Trump, how, how dare he say that? Well, I would want every president and prime minister to have want their country, take their country first in the same way every father ought to take care of his family first. There's nothing inherently evil or wrong with that. Uh, but say a word about that, the definition well, of nationalism. Yeah, um, we have to understand that, that the vast majority of our major media consists of globalists who actually favor the idea of a form of, of world government. And so any form of nationalism, you know, they'll do whatever it takes, try to make uh, make us look like Nazis or anything else. If, if you want to uh, uphold the constitution of, of your country. So that's what we're up against They're They're turning the truth upside down. These people are really the dangerous ones, but they want to make Christians appear as if they're the dangerous ones because they're holding to this uh, notion of nationalism. But we live in a globalized society today where everything needs to be on a on a global basis. Uh, so there, there's already been discussions of, of a world parliament. Uh, some mock sessions have been held. And so this is, this is where they want to take the world, uh, a full-blown system of, of world government. And anyone who doesn't go along with it, they'll do whatever they can to label you one thing or another. Uh, it doesn't matter to them what it is uh, to belittle people. Um, of course, we've seen that with everything they've done with, with Trump. And, and so we have to be prepared for that as, as Christians. If, if we take a strong stand against globalization, because we realize it means surrendering many of our freedoms to a, ultimately a, a global system of, of government, um, the media is going to come after us with everything they have and, and try to silence us. So, I mean, that's already taking place. Define it just for the listeners in three sentences, if you can. Uh, the World Economic Forum and where people can go so they can read for themselves what the Economic Forum is and what they're calling for. Uh, the World Economic Forum was founded by uh, Klaus Schwab uh, back in 1992. He's a, a staunch globalist from Germany, uh, not very far from where my mother's roots uh, were in that country. Um, and he is absolutely dedicated and devoted to bringing about world government and doing whatever it takes to make it happen. And so many of the most powerful economic and political figures of the world 
belong to that organization. We covered it actually in our recent, uh, most recent uh, publication. Um, I, my title was On the Brink of World War III? Question mark is my lead article. And then we had a, a follow-up article in there titled, We Penetrate the Cabinets. And it was uh, Klaus Schwab and, and those working with, with him uh, talking about how they more or less run the world already. And I was able to get a hold of, of a list of prominent uh, globalists who belong uh, to this organization. And it's, it really is like a who's who of the world as far as our political leaders go. You've got Macron of France. Um, uh, you, you've got um, the founder of, of, of Google, Larry Page. Uh, you've got um, the founder of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, many of, of the world's uh, uh, leaders from the countries of, of Europe. I mean, it's, it's like a who's who of the world. And um, uh, Putin, by the way, was pegged early on as well uh, to be a member of, of that organization. And, and so this goes way back. These are very powerful people behind the scenes. And um, we should expect nothing less than that they will try to do everything they can to manipulate the situation and use their economic influence to influence global politics and ultimately bring about a form of, of world government. That's what they want. Uh, Gary, my wife and I, uh, head of a ministry called Wellverse, we have a, a small ministry at the United Nations. And uh, right north of the United Nations is a very tall, dark glass building. The Lucius Trust you refer to moved into that building. And one of the persons on this call has gone up to those offices. Now, if she wants to identify herself and say a word about that, she certainly can. Uh, I don't want to blow her cover. She doesn't want to say anything about it, but if she wants to, she's on this call and could at an appropriate time, I'm giving a signal to her as a green light. If she wants to say something uh, about going up into those offices themselves and to see what's going on, it would seem to me that, and this is old news. I'm not saying anything that's hadn't been said by a thousand other people, but the, the huge setbacks of the world economic forum and the globalists in general has been number one, the election of Trump, and all of his make America first, make America great again, and his patriotism angers them. They disdain that. The election of Trump. And then secondly, the reaction around the world to COVID, COVID restrictions, governmental overreach, took them by surprise. The uprising has been so great. But then the microcosm of that, the subtext of that, would be the Canadian truckers and Trudeau's overreaction so much so the World Economic Forum said, slow down, you're gonna blow our cover, you're gonna blow our chances. You're a poster child, but you're blowing it back away. The banks are screaming for you to stop shutting them down. Now, tell me, unpack whether what I've said is accurate or inaccurate, and I'm happy to be corrected by you if I'm wrong. Well, one thing uh, the globalists were not counting on, I think, uh, well, they, they have been testing the waters. And so the pushback that they got from the Canadian uh, truckers and, and groups here in the United States, you know, they're monitoring all that. Um, but it was felt initially, I believe, that that needed to be squelched. Um, but ultimately, you know, the truckers were there to stay. And so Trudeau figured he had to take a stronger stand and put a stop to it. I do believe that initially uh, a lot of pressure was being applied upon him by more powerful globalists, uh, but also they, I think they realize this could all backfire upon them by other people watching this from around the world. I know people here in the US were watching what was going on in Canada. 
And, um, uh, you know, Trudeau has been a poster child of the globalists for, for quite some time. And there are other global leaders in other countries around the world uh, that would, would probably have done the same thing that, that he did in Canada. But what it has done is it has awakened and aroused many of the Christians in Canada now who were sleepy before, and they realize what they're up against and what's taking place. And I believe it was a warning call to uh, the United States and, and what is ultimately being, being planned. Uh, these globalists, they wanna get their way. They wanna try to bring this about peacefully, so to speak, by duping us all into supporting the agenda. But as people catch on and they begin to clamp down and push back on the globalists, the question is, how will they then respond to all of this? And I think at some point in time, they will try to use force and, and precipitate some type of uh, you know, international national emergencies. And, but, but right now they're still monitoring and I think they don't fully know exactly how they're going to bring all this about. They're watching to see how people react. For those listening who may think this is political or geopolitical, let me bring quick correction to that. This is distinctly biblical, as governmental, but distinctly biblical, distinctly Judeo-Christian, because anything pertaining to the Tower of Babel is always anti-Christ. It is always anti-God. It is always anti-Jesus, anti-anything according to the gospel. So what we're dealing with here tonight is distinctly spiritual, a biblical and Judeo-Christian in this in this context. Uh, I just have a question for you, Gary, and I'll, then I'll turn it back to Mario. There's 193 member nations in the United Nations. When Trudeau showed up at the recent uh, uh, a few weeks ago, where, where I can't remember whether it was World Economic Forum or another meeting, when he showed up, he was booed by some. He was mocked by some. Some nations got up and walked out of his meeting because how he overplayed his hand. Some accuse him of being a dictator and a tyrant, which he is. Now, that being the case, uh, I recognize that certain nations have way more power than other nations. But in the UN, everybody's got an equal vote. A little tiny old Karabasi has one vote. Micronesia has one vote. These are tiny nations. Nehru has one vote. Um, so of the 193 nations, how many of them want a distinctly global government? How many governments would you guess desire this as opposed to the i would contend the vast majority of member nations do not want the united nations or some global entity to rule the whole earth well i i believe if if the nations of the world fully understood where this agenda is going and what it was all about i think probably a majority of them would reject it um but there is a lot of powerful influence uh from the european union that is very globalist in its outlook. And Europe really is a driving force behind this. And, and uh, many of the leaders of Europe uh, today uh, have gone through uh, the ranks of the World Economic Forum and, and were groomed by that organization going way back. Um, even Angela Merkel, um, it, this was early on when they targeted younger people and she was a little older, she was in her 40s. But that was all right. They brought her in anyway and, and made her part of their uh, program. So globalism has taken a very strong hold in Europe and it has spread out from there. Um, uh, I believe partly this war in Ukraine, what it's about is to try to shore up globalism in Europe because uh, there were some cracks developing, but all of a sudden now Europe is, is united. That's always the case against a common enemy. And, and, uh, and, and so I think that may be part of, of this where it's going. 
But I think if people fully understood what this agenda is all about, many more would be opposed to it. But it's kind of like the old uh, example of, uh, of the water being turned up and a frog being in the kettle and not jumping out. You know, it's gradual and it, and it uh, comes on that way and people don't realize what is happening until sometimes it's, it's too late. Uh, but Australia has become extremely austere. We have friends in Australia and New Zealand. And I know people who moved there a number of years ago because they saw where things were going in, the, in this country. And now things are a lot more severe over there. In fact, the prime minister of New Zealand uh, has been very heavily involved in the World Economic Forum for many years. They helped put her into power. And so it would, you'd be amazed if you take a look at, at the world's countries, how many of the current prime ministers came through the ranks of the World Economic uh, Forum. It, it truly is amazing. So, you know, I'd say keep your eyes on, on Europe and what's going on there and what, what that forum is, is trying to do. It gives us a heads up on, on where they're uh, going with it. Bill Gates is a very key player in all of this as well. Uh, many of the world's big names are. And um, so I, I just want to want to share a, a few passages, passages of scripture. May I do that? Um, I would just point the European uh, Union, ironically, European Union was founded by three people with strong Christian impulses for Christian purposes of restitution and restoration. And it's been turned on its head. It's another one of those institutions turned in the opposite direction for what it was created. I would contend in Eastern Europe, particularly Viktor Orban in Hungary, and some of these countries are standing against this, Yeah, but are, 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 are shamed by the rest of Europe, uh, whether it be Poland or Czech Republic, they're shamed for standing uh, uh, against this. I appreciate your presentation. I want you to turn to the scriptures. I think that will be great for us. Then we'll turn it back to Mario as we start our time in prayer, but go right ahead with the scriptures, my brother. Well, just a few passages of scripture that I've made a point of keeping in front of me wherever I go, because you can imagine doing this type of thing, um, the, the oppression sometimes that we will experience. Um, uh, we really need your prayers. I, I mean, this is a, is a battle to try to handle this subject in a, a tactful, credible way. Um, Ephesians 6, 10 to 13, of course, talks about putting on the full armor of God. And when we've done everything else, just to dig in our heels and stand firm. It's one of my favorite passages. Also, 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Um, also, I like James 1, 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Uh, that, that's kind of become my life verse, actually. Um, also, uh, Daniel eleven thirty two. it says, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he, meaning the Antichrist, shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And I want that to be us, you know, being in the know on this and seeing what's happening and being able to take a strong stand for the truth and for Christ against all odds to inform people of what is taking place so that no one is hoodwinked by all this and that Christians will be uh, discerning. Um, and finally, Nahum, Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust in him. 
we ought to be walking very closely with the Lord at this stage in world history more than ever before, because so many deceptive things are taking shape and, and we need discernment from the Lord. Uh, we need to know the Bible thoroughly. We need to be walking with the Lord daily in a very tight relationship and be hearing his voice uh, so that we know how to respond and how to be salt and light uh, in the midst of this growing darkness uh, in the world. And uh, I believe the Lord will be gracious. He knows those who are his own and he will give us discernment. He will guide us and he will direct us. But we're going to have to be bold uh, and, and, and not fear uh, some of the consequences that could come against us for, for taking a stand. So uh, with that, I'll turn it back over. How do we contact you, by the way? How do people, what's your website and information? Uh, our website is simply my name, garycaw.org, garycaw.org. And uh, spell, your, spell your last name for that. last name is spelled K-A-H. So it's G-A-R-Y-K-A-H dot O-R-G. And we've posted some of my recent articles on there, also a few talk shows that I've done um, uh, recently. And if people are interested in receiving our publication, you can subscribe to it there. It is subscription-based because that's how the Lord has chosen uh, to help us support our efforts. And um, so anyway, we, we do a quarterly publication, usually about 20 pages long, to hit on the most important aspects of this uh, move toward uh, globalization and, and one world government and that type of thing. And what we as Christians can do to take the kind of stand that the Lord would have us take at this uh, moment in history. Um, Gary, uh, there's so much more. We'd love to have you back at another time. Uh, I know you and I spoke about what we need to do short term um, in preparation uh, with the food shortages. I think you have that on your website as well. Um, how we can prepare for the shakings that appear to be coming uh, soon with the hyperinflation, gas prices, and food shortages, correct? That's on your website? Yeah, we, we uh, posted uh, the most recent article that I wrote, uh, which was on the brink of World War III question mark. And toward the end of that article, we, dis we discussed uh, some of the re reactions that we as Christians uh, should have and, and things that we can do. Great. Malachi, um, if, if you just have a couple of questions, and then I'd like you to lead us in prayer, starting for prayer for Gary, his family, and his ministry. Will do. And thank you, Mario. And thank you, Gary, for all you've shared. I had a, I had a text I sent out. I want to read that. And then I honestly, I have one question. I just want to get into prayer. And, and here, here's what I want you to, want you to know, Gary, because I really feel, I really feel like that, um, the next generation of pastors have zero inkling about any of this that you have shared tonight. Like it's not even on their radar. And part of the reason, part of the reason why I think that, and maybe that could be my question to you. Um, I believe that wokeism is really the intoxicant that really, that really gets people in get next generation leaders intoxicated to believe that globalism is more of a savior and that nationalism uh, is the ultimate evil. So would you maybe address wokeism and, and that ideology as it relates to globalism? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, our universities have been so penetrated, I mean, almost across the board. And I'd say there are very few Christian colleges that have not been penetrated, at least to some degree, 
Um, and so you have this internationalism, this globalism. Uh, and of course, to share the gospel, you know, this is a global message. We should get it out to all the countries of the world. But I'm talking about a political globalism uh, that these people have fallen for, and they're really promoting it in any way that they that they can. And um, so the, the younger generation, especially, I don't think they, they realize the dangers of us losing our, our system of checks and balances that has existed in the current world order, where if one country steps out of line, other countries can put that country back in its place. But if we have a global system of government, the kind that globalists are pushing for, then where do you run to if it becomes draconian in nature, which it will? Uh, where do you go? Because now you're looking at a government over the entire world. Our current system of checks and balances will have disappeared. And so just a lot of this is basic common sense, but that is no longer being taught at our universities. They're being taught, uh, our young people are being taught to be skeptical of Christianity and, and just about everything that's good and are being pushed the other way. Globalization to them is a, is a good thing, you know. But what did God do at the building of the Tower of Babel? He scattered the people because um, you would have had one person governing over the, the known world at that time. And that's dangerous. And that's where this current global push is, is headed, uh, an all out system of, of global government where we would ultimately lose our freedoms and Christians would be persecuted along with with Jews. And so this is a. Uh, something that our young people need to be aware of, but they're simply not being taught this in the universities uh, on the whole. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.